continuing the uh, discussion on stroke, we're going to be going through the phases of swallowing at this time. Um, there are anywhere from three to four stages, depending on who you ask or talk to or combine things here and there. Um, there's an oral preparatory phase and an oral phase. Often these two are combined together, as well as a pharyngeal phase and an esophageal phase. In the oral preparatory phase, which is the first phase, often combined with the oral phase, it tends to be voluntary, and, and the duration can be variable depending on how much a person chews and prepares the bolus for swallowing. This requires a function of facial muscles, rotatory jaw motion, lateral tongue movement, depression of the soft palate, and presence of saliva. The problems with this phase can include um, drooling and pocketing. The oral phase, or the second phase, often combined with the oral preparatory phase, is also voluntary and also usually lasts less than a second. The tongue elevates um, and, and includes or and occludes the anterior oral cavity and moves the bolus towards the oropharynx, and there's contraction of the palatal pharyngeal folds and elevation of the soft palate. This requires some similar function of facial muscles, anterior to posterior tongue movement, soft palate elevation, and velopharyngeal port closure to prevent nasopharynx regurgitation. Some of the problems that are involved in this phase include drooling, pocketing, and head tilt. In the pharyngeal phase, which is the third phase, uh, you tend to get a reflexogenic and um, involuntary in less, less than a second. The bolus is propelled from the mouth to the esophagus, and aspiration is more likely to occur during this phase than any of the other phases. And this can have, uh, while, we, while we're going through this phase, there is inhibition of breathing, which occurs to, to try and prevent that aspiration. Um, it does require the closure of the nasopharynx with a soft palate elevation, as well as the laryngeal elevation and ab an abduction of the ventricular, excuse me, of the, of the true vocal folds, um, and coordinated pharyngeal constriction with quicker pharyngeal relaxation to facilitate bolus transport to the esophagus. Problems in this phase include food sticking, choking, and coughing, as well as aspiration, a wet or gurgling voice, and nasal regurgitation. Um, the esophageal phase is the fourth phase, and this is more of a reflexive or involuntary phase that lasts six to ten seconds. Um, you get, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the bolus passes from the pharynx to the esophagus to the stomach. Esophageal clearance assisted by gravity but uh, requires relaxation of gastropharyngeal sphincter. This does require cricopharyngeal muscle contraction as well as, as well as coordination of peristalsis and the lower esophageal sphincter relaxation. Um, there are some problems of this phase that include heartburn, food, uh, food sticking, and echolasia. Uh, treatment of, of dysphagia prevention and aspiration includes oral feeding with modifications of uh, diet consistency as well as non-oral feeding, which is often used in the setting of known pulmonary pathology due to aspiration or the presence of documented airway contamination. Uh, typically, there's a redu reduction in alertness and reduction in responsiveness to stimulation and absence swallow, as well as an absence of productive cough or uh, difficulty handling secretions, which leads to non-oral feeding. Some of the disadvantages for this type of feeding include um, is, is it's difficult to treat the dysphagia and swallowing um, as a treatment for dysphagia is needed. Uh, changes in posture and head positioning can also happen with the elevation of the head of bed and upright, uh, and upright feeding. There are several compensatory strategies that can be done, including a chin tuck, which uh, protects the area by providing liquid entry into by preventing liquid entry into the larynx, as well as decreases the space between the base of the tongue and posterior pharyngeal wall. You can also perform some head rotation, which closes the ipsilateral pharynx and forces the bolus in con uh, towards the contralateral pharynx, which is working. Um, so you should turn the head to the paretic size, 
paretic side. Additionally, a head tilt is similar, which uses gravity to guide the bolus to the ipsilateral pharynx. You can also have something called a supraglottic swallow, which is, a, which is along with a concomitant com, uh, breathing, breath holding and swallowing that closes the vocal folds and protects the trachea. A super supraglottic swallowing can also be used as a maneuver to maximize the fold closure. And a Mendelssohn maneuver is voluntarily holding the larynx at maximal height to length and duration of the cricopharyngeal opening. There are some other modalities that include thermal stimulation, um, which can sensitize the swallowing reflex, and some oral and motor exercises to improve tone and lip, and sh lip strength and range of motion, um, as well as precision of uh, vocal fold adduction. Some of the complications that go along with dysphagia are dehydration, as well as malnutrition, with, uh, which can lead to prolonged length of stay and slower functional gains. Uh, malnutrition can also lead to a higher risk of uh, stress fractures and frequency of infections or um, pressure ulcers. There are a few studies available to discuss the recovery of stroke uh, of dysphagia and stroke. Um, typically, about 72 hours post-stroke evaluations can help in prognosis. Seven-day post-stroke with fluid modified modification or diet tolerance typically do not need PEG placement, but those that do need PEG placement occur usually about 14 days post-stroke that cannot tolerate grade three uh, liquid or uh, thickened fluids or pureed diet. Most small recovery and brainstem strokes tend to occur in the first three weeks. You may also see some nasal speech, which occurs from partial or complete failure of soft palate to close off of that. Um, and one of the other main complications that go along with uh, stroke is aphasia. Now, this is a very dense portion of it. And there's a lot of little details here, but we'll go through it. I would recommend uh, going through the chapter in or the chart in Cucurillo to discuss some of the aphasias or to review some of the aphasias. Um, but essentially, aphasia is an impairment of the ability to utilize language, is characterized by paraphasias, word-finding difficulties, comprehension issues, and may be associated with reading and writing disturbances, as well as nonverbal, constructional, and problem-solving difficulty, and impairment of gesturing. So essentially, aphasia is broken up into different types and categories. We look at uh, speech fluency, um, presence or absence of comprehension and uh, ability or inability to perform repetition. So Wernicke's aphasia is one of the most uh, frequent ones that we see. This is also called expressive aphasia, and this is affected. Uh, this is where the posterior part of the first superior temporal gyrus is affected in the dominant hemisphere. Typically, the dominant hemisphere is the left hemisphere. There is fluent speech in this, but there is impaired comprehension. And there's difficulty in reading and writing with marked paraphasias and neologisms, which is essentially the uh, inability to um, create new words, or it's, it's, it's frequently making new words. Um, in Wernicke's aphasia, you typically have an impaired repetition as well. Broca's aphasia is another frequent one that we see, which is more of an expressive aphasia, which is a... Um, occurs in the posterior inferior frontal lobe of the dominant hemisphere, which is seen in the anterior motor cortex. This one has non-fluent speech as well as impaired repetition, though comprehension is preserved. Paraphasias and articulatory errors are noted. Global aphasia can vary in size and location, but usually um, is in the dominant MCA distribution and ranges from mutism to total repetitive jargon, uh, as well as neolog neologistic output and impaired comprehension and repetition. A, a nomic aphasia occurs at the temporal parietal injury and the angular gyrus. Uh, this is a fluent 
aphasia with positive comprehension and repetition, though there are word-finding difficulties as well as alexia and agraphia that may be present. And as the name suggests, there uh, there's decreased output of nouns and names. Conduction aphasias also occur, which occur at the uh, parietal operculum or insula uh, um, or the deep lobe, <coughs> excuse me, or, or deep to the supramarginal gyrus. They are fluent, they have normal rate of speech, and they preserve comprehension as well as impaired repetition. There are little paraphasias with targeting of words noted. Uh, for transcortical motor aphasias, there is, uh, this is in the frontal lobe, anterior, to, anterior or superior to Broca's area. This is non-fluid with reduced rate of speech and limited language output. They do have good comprehension and good repetition. Transcortical sensory aphasias tend to be more of a watershed lesion in the parasylvian speech structures of the posterior brain and the posterior inferior temporal lobe. There's poor comprehension here. Speech is fluent and uh, repetition is preserved. There is possible echolalia. You may also get a transcortical mixed aphasia, which is less common. It's also known as an isolation aphasia. Border zone of the frontal and parietal and temporal areas are affected. There's poor comprehension. This is non-fluent. And there is preserved repetition. You may have echolalia. Um, <clears throat> some of the other areas of speech that can be affected include paraphasias, which is an increased substitution of words, um, including phonomic paraphasias, which are for similar sounds, and cemented paraphasias, which are for word substitution. You may also get um, agrammatism, which is uh, essentially an aphasia in which there's an absence of, gra of grammatical structure in a sentence. You can get anomia, um, which is you cannot recall words. Um, echolalia is re repetition or echoing of words. Uh, circumlocution, which is a roundabout way of describing a word. Neologism, which is a creation of a new word. And jargon, which is well articulated but most, mostly incomprehensible and unintelligible speech. And stereotype, which is a repetition of nonsensical syllables uh, during attempts to communicate. Uh, there are some treatment approaches to aphasias. Uh, <clears throat> The most commonly one is a loss versus, loss versus interference, which views aphasia as loss of specific linguistic information, which is compensatory, with concept that brain damage interferes with linguistic operation, which is facilitatory. There's also direct versus indirect, which views aphasia as deficits of linguistic thought processes, which can be used to differentiate language or differ, differentiate direct language-centered therapy from indirect content-centered therapy. There is also behavioral versus psycholinguistic, which views emphasis on content, emphasis on structure of therapy. Uh, programmed operant, which, is, which measures ob obtained before and after behavior modification procedure applied. Uh, programmed instruction, which involves many individual steps to reach a desired language barrier. And there are some specific interventions as well. Um, <clears throat> Ameriend, which is a sign language that uses gestures that represent objects, actions, directions, and descriptions, and as well as um, there's one called melodic intonation therapy, which is one of the more common ones that recruits the right hemisphere for your communication by incorporating me melodies or rhythms with simple statements. This may be most useful in patients with um, non-fluent Broca's aphasia. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Some of the management of the medical issues 
that could be seen as well. Oh, before we get to the management, I just want to mention that the post-stroke aphasia recovery typically occurs most commonly in the first two to three months with a significant drop in recovery after six months. And there can, although it's not very common to have spontaneous uh, recovery after a year, there are reports of improvement that exist. Now, with regard to the management of some of the medical issues, post-stroke depression is a big one. Um, it's possibly due to catecholamine depletion or grief-slash-psychological response. About 40% of patients have this, and it's more prevalent from six months to two years out. There's a higher risk of uh, in left frontal lesions, and there are several risk factors that include prior psychiatric history, uh, significant ADL impairment, higher severity of deficits, a female uh, gender tends to have more of a predisposition to this, non-fluent aphasias as well as they can't get across their, uh, <clears throat> their desires and their speech. Cognitive impairment, lack of social support can also have this. Some of the persistent dep depression impairs recovery um, and can active, and active treatment should be considered for all patients with depression, including psychotherapy and SSRIs, which are the preferred treatment. Methylphenidate may be considered, and SSRIs can also be used to help improve motor recovery after stroke as well. Uh, this is the FLAME trial that everyone talks about. Sexual dysfunction is another one that can be seen. There tends to be no change in sexual interest or desire, but may have a decline in behavior or activity after a stroke. There is a decrease in coital frequency with the inability to discuss with a sexual partner. There can be a general decrease in attitude towards sexuality or change in attitude towards sexuality, un unwillingness to participate in sexual activity. Some of the causes of this may be due to fear or anxiety or doubt or low self-esteem or fear of rejection. Um, several of the post-stroke medications, particularly something like an SSRI, can lead to sexual dysfunction as well. Um, and they, you can consider pursuit of treatment with supportive psychotherapy and counseling um, as well as specialist consultation. Seizures can also occur. They're typically classified as um, early after stroke, which is one to two weeks, or late after stroke, which is greater than two weeks. Um, they can also be seen at stroke onset. About 2.5% 2, 2 of patients had seizures within 48 hours. Um, and it, more ha it happened more often with older age, uh, with confusion and large parietal temporal hemorrhages. The majority are generalized tonic-clonic in nature and tend to have higher rates of um, in-hospital mortality. Early seizures usually do not recur, but late seizures, excuse me, late after seizures, those that are about greater than two weeks, have a higher likelihood of returning. Cortical lesions um, may also lead to, um, per, that, that have persistent paresis have higher risk factors. With regards to predictions in mortality um, and functional recovery in stroke patients, some of the factors that predict this and hemorrhagic, are hemorrhagic strokes um, have a higher risk of mortality than ischemic strokes. Elderly patients have a higher risk of mortality than younger patients. And mortality um, in the first year after stroke is about <clears throat> 25 to 40%. And the risk of a second stroke within one year is about 12 to 25%. Risk factors for acute stroke mortality include um, stroke severity, decreased level of consciousness, diabetes, cardiac disease, EKG abnormalities, age, delay in medical care, elevated blood sugars, brainstem involvement, hemorrhagic stroke, and admission from a nursing home. Risk factors for disability include um, minimal motor recovery at four weeks, decreased level of consciousness, diabetes, cardiac disease, EKG abnormalities, delay in medical care, delay in rehab, bilateral lesions, prior stroke, 
prior functional deficits, poor sitting balance, global aphasia, severe neglect, severe or sensory visual deficits, impaired cognition, and prolonged incontinence. Some of the negative risk factors for return to work post-stroke include low score on Barthel Index, which, includes a, which is a functional assessment tool that measures ADLs and independence, and prolonged rehab stay, as well as aphasia and poor alcohol abuse. Well, hopefully this is uh, somewhat beneficial to someone other than me. I, like I said, I tend to learn a lot from auditory use, and I feel like as during my long commute, this is something that I'll be able to use, and hopefully that someone else can get good benefit from this as well.